Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Glad you guys are here in person. Glad you guys are joining in live or whenever you do tune in. Appreciate that. We're going to pause and we are going to pray before we get started. It's good to be back. I want to say thank you to Brian for covering last week, for Randy, again, the tech team and everyone who's here who makes this happen Uh, It's so good to be able to go and just enjoy what the community is without me, Um, because it is. It's a community, right? It's not a person. And so thank you again, guys, for covering and doing a great job. Um, But let's pause and let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, there is always so much being presented to us. Even as we've mentioned things that are happening, there are news reports of revival. There are balloons being shot down. There is train derailments. There is an earthquake devastation. And we are here pausing all those things that enter our minds and our thoughts to meditate on you, to allow our focus to be more singular and allow that focus to influence all the things that permeate our lives and our thoughts and our minds of how we respond, of how we deal with, of how we engage with the world that is all around us. We thank you again for an opportunity to do this and pray that through this time, we would draw near not only to you, but to your mindset, your character. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just a a quick reminder again that Genesis is here and is grateful for those of you who support Genesis with your gifts and tithes and offerings. I know many people are faithful to give who don't even come here uh, or are unable to be here. There are some people who bring their envelopes in and drop them in the door um, throughout the week. And again, thank you for participating in this adventure with us. We are thankful for that. And I hope that as a community, we are able to represent Christ well. 
Uh, that really is at the heart of what we want to do is to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. And, and that's kind of why I want to talk about what I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, again, thanks to Brian for last week and helping us to see, you know, the relationship between Jesus and Mary and Lazarus, the disciples. I'll never look at broccoli soup the same again um, and appreciate the things that we have. Uh, it actually sparked some thoughts about how that relationship with Jesus's disciples is at the heart of the gospels and what we see transpiring. It's a communication between those who he is closest to. And I think it's important to understand that to interpret these things, we have to be able to enter into that kind of close relationship. Before we came online, I asked you guys, what is your favorite story about Jesus? I'd like to hear that. Just shout it out. You don't have to quote chapter and verse, but what is one of your favorite stories about Jesus? The woman at the well. I know my. Jesus the yeah, my wife said yesterday, "Let the children come to me." Uh, okay, there we go. Uh, the woman caught in adultery, and then Jesus writing on the ground. I think I've always, I think everyone's been curious on what. Yeah, what he says. The woman caught in adultery. Any others? A person touching the robe of Jesus and just the person who touched the hem of his garment and she was healed from the issue of blood. Any? Jairus' uh, daughter? Yeah, Jairus' daughter. Okay, when he... The good one where he puts the people out, says everybody's laughing at him, says she's dead, And then he raises Jairus' daughter up. I know I like Zacchaeus, right? Um... There's so many, right? All, all these different stories. And thank you for sharing that because most, if not all of these stories are, are very relational, right? They're dealing with Jesus's interaction with these different people. And what it's doing is it's revealing his character as he interacts in all these different situations. I, I want to contrast those stories now with a passage of scripture that we've heard, and I want to kind of wrestle with how we look at this passage of Scripture, and it's John chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is a well-known Scripture, and it's often quoted to defend an idea that's called the exclusivity of Christ, which means, in a nutshell, that if you don't accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you will not go to heaven, which makes me a little uneasy because we don't even agree on what it means to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Does it mean to believe a certain set of theological doctrines? Does it mean to be filled with the Spirit to some? Does it mean to speak in tongues to others? It might be, you know, to be able to have an idea of prayer or connected to other things. And so there's a lot of 
uneasiness putting something like this out there when there's a disagreement on the foundation of what it is. And, and I think before we ask the question, is Jesus the only way? We might want to first ask another question. The only way to what? You see, if you want to know how to make an electric car the number one sedan over BMW, then Elon Musk can show you the way. If you want to know how to be the greatest of all time in the NBA, then you have to talk to (laughs) Michael Jordan. There we go. (laughs) Congrats to LeBron on that scoring game. But if you want to find out what E equals, how E equals MC squared, then Einstein can show you the way. You see, I think many times we are quick to answer the first question without considering the second question. And before we just say Jesus is the only way, we should ask the only way to what? What is this leading to? Even in these stories that you guys have mentioned, what we see is that the focus of his message was not about going to heaven. But the focus of these stories is about heaven coming to earth. It's not about going to heaven after history is over. It's about history entering into humanity. Heaven. (laughs) Perfect timing, heaven. And so it's important that we understand that. And, and what can happen is when we take a text like John fourteen six, but we take it out of its context, it becomes a pretext. It becomes a pretext to other thoughts and ideas that we have instead of maybe the intention of what it was actually saying. And so I want to consider how the original hearers would have understood what was being said. And to do this, we need to back up and look at the context of what's first being said. Not only that, but also the larger context of Jesus's life. And all these stories are helping us to see that context. And I think we'll find it not only touching, but illuminating. I think it's going to draw us into something that's deeper and really beautiful. Chapter 13, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, drastically changing the idea of what it is to be a master or to lord over. And help them to see that it's actually servitude. And for Jesus, leadership means servanthood, not domination. And then shortly after him washing their feet and setting that example, Judas has been identified as the one who's going to betray him. And so we're going to start in John 13, verse 31. It says, when he, Judas, was gone... Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself 
and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, this statement that Jesus is going somewhere, but his disciples can't follow is central to what the conversation is doing and where it's going. It's a thread that this conversation is going to keep drawing back to, this idea of following you where we can't. And understand what this would do to them, because to be a disciple was to follow your rabbi. It was to learn, and to learn, you would follow your rabbi and let him teach you. And so what happens when the one you're following says, you're going to go, I'm going to go somewhere, but you can't follow? It's like, what do you mean? That's what we're doing. That's the whole point of everything we're going to do. If we can't follow you, what are we supposed to do? So it's very unnerving. And if what Jesus means by he is going to go where they can't follow is he's going to heaven, then wouldn't he be saying that they don't get to go to heaven either? So what is he saying? Well, we just saw he's talking about the betrayal And so we see that it's actually more like this. I've just been betrayed by one of my friends. And this betrayal is beginning the glorification. God is about to glorify me in a way that's even more shocking and reversal of what the master has done by becoming the servant. And when I washed your feet, I am now going to be glorified by willingly accepting suffering and death on a cross, which is shameful. And you can't go there with me because this is my unique calling, the cup of shame and suffering that I have to drink alone. I think that is at the heart of what Jesus is saying when he's saying, I'm going somewhere and you can't follow. And this is just the beginning, though. Jesus is building up to make another point, And this is where the point is starting from. He moves from where you cannot, you cannot follow, but he goes on to tell them in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, what's new about this commandment isn't loving one another. That was a command, but it's as high I have loved you. That's the the new part of this command. I'm giving you an example of how you are to love one another. Remember what I did by washing your feet. I'm now going to go where you can't follow me. And that's, again, just another way of my showing my love towards you and how you are to love one another. Have you ever talked to someone and they miss the point? of what you're trying to say, right? You're you're talking to them, maybe it's a family member, a child or something, and you tell them, hey, we need to do this, but you can't go with me right now because we will pick you up later. And all they focus on is, why can't I go with you? Well, I just told you why, because we're gonna need to go, you know, pick up this person and that person We won't have enough room in the car. Well, why do you have to pick me up last? You're missing the point here. You're going to come with us, but not right now. And it's frustrating when you're talking to someone and they miss the point of what you're trying to say because they lock in onto this one little 
part of the conversation. And that's what we see happening here in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? What happened to you have to love one another, right? That just like went over his head. Hey, this is what I want you to follow me. You have to love one another as I have loved you. And then Peter goes, where are you going? Let's, let's get to the, the, the other part, right? Where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Psst, all right? I'm like, man, that's deflating. Did you miss the whole follow me by loving one another as I have loved you? Did you miss the idea of a master becoming your servant? Don't you understand that there is something I have to do that you can't follow in, but it's for your good? And Jesus is saying that I'm heading to suffering and death, but you're not strong or brave enough to go with me. And that's a troubling statement. I mean, this is a troubling time. It's bad enough that one of Jesus' disciples is going to be betraying him. And now one of his most outspoken, boisterous disciples doesn't have the courage to actually follow him and is going to be unfaithful. And what's worse still is that Jesus is going to this strange glorification of suffering and death and that he'll do it alone. And he'll leave his followers temporarily without anyone to follow. It it sounds like the wheels are falling off the cart. It sounds like this is coming and it's crashing in ruin. And no wonder Jesus's next words are words of reassurance in chapter 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Do you see the flow of this conversation? From despair because you're leaving us and we can't follow to now him giving them reassurance. Jesus's words are like, don't worry, I'm going somewhere you can't go, but the purpose of my going on ahead without you is so that I compare a place where we can be together again, all right? I, I will return to you and bring you to be with me. You can't go with me now, but be assured you'll be with me soon in that place, that territory, that home. Could we even say that kingdom? that there will be a place for you there. You will be welcome there because of what I'm about to do. And I think by father's house, instead of just thinking of it as going to heaven, I don't think it's far-fetched to think of it as the kingdom, as my father's kingdom, as the kingdom of God. I don't think it's far-fetched, especially in light of all the things that Jesus is saying, that 
this is actually going to be with me in eternal life or life eternal that isn't about where you go after you die, but it's about what is here right now that we can join in, that you can be one with me as I am one with the Father, he and me and you and me and us all together. It's a song, I think, a Beatles song, something like that. In this reading, I will come again. I think it refers to Jesus's resurrection and all that it entails. You have been with me every step of the way, but I'm going to go alone to suffering and death. But after my suffering and death, I will come back and will bring you into my father's house or my father's kingdom so we can be there together. Life lived in an interactive relationship with God. And then he returns to his earlier point preparing them for the shock that he is going to suffer and die. You know that for me to reach this place of glory and for me to go and prepare a new place for you, I have to suffer and die first. And he's trying to prepare them for that. And and Thomas is about to ask a question and it has in it, it's a thousand miles away from what about the people who never heard about you, will they go to heaven? And this is why context matters. Thomas's question in verse four, where Jesus says, you know the way and the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? What's Thomas asking here? If we don't properly understand the question, will likely miss the meaning of Jesus's answer. And there's the problem. It's clear he's not asking anything like, will people who have never heard of you go to heaven? That's not in this question, right? Can we see that that's not a part of what he's worried about? That's not what he's considering here. He's not saying, Jesus, can Muslims Go to heaven? When he says, where are you going? His idea is trying to find out something else. He and the other disciples are thinking about themselves. And they're wondering where their leader is going to go and they can't follow. And that Jesus said that they know the way to meet him beyond their separation, but they haven't a clue yet what he's talking about. That's at the heart of the question. So although it's clear that Thomas isn't asking entirely, you know, what maybe we thought he was supposed to be asking in this other verse, we have no idea really what they're talking about. We we don't know what he thinks Jesus is going to say. We don't know what destination you're talking about. So how can we know the route that's that destination. We don't know where you're going. We're we're unsure, we're insecure, we're troubled because you're leaving us. And, And I read Thomas's question as an expression of frustration, as much as a plea for some, you know, information. Give me something. Give us a desk, is it north? Right Back in chapter seven, I think it was when he told the Jews, I'm going where I go, you can't follow. They said, is he going where the Gentiles are? Because we won't go to that region. And I imagine they're thinking he's gonna go to some region where we can't follow him. 
He can't ask for specific information because he's too confused to even know what to ask. And so what if we read this answer, that I am the way, the truth, and the life? What if we read Jesus' answer then, not as an explanation or answer, certainly not an answer to a question about eternal destiny of people who never heard or believe in Jesus, but as a repetition or reinforcement of what Jesus has just given them, which is reassurance. He's just said, don't be troubled, trust God, trust me. And now he repeats a reassurance. He answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In light of this, Jesus seems to be saying, listen, you don't need to understand all of this, but you need to trust me. Who I've been to you, who I am to you, everything you need is in me. I will bring you to my father's house, whether that means heaven after we die or the kingdom of God on earth. The way or the truth or the life aren't things separate from me. I am these things. So you'll find them in me. Whether or not you know what I've been talking about, you know me. You know the Father, you know the way, you know the truth, you know the life because you know me. Do you see how this is in context with everything that is happening here? It's not this verse that says, what about these people? It's what's going to happen to us. And he says, you know me. What you need to know, you know in me. And so I read the passage, Jesus is saying, don't ask me to show you something apart from me. All you're looking for is found in me. I have spoken to you about the way to live. I have spoken to you of the truth to which you and many are blind to. I have spoken to you of life and life to the full. Don't you realize the way is the truth and the truth is the life and all of these are found in me. It's an invitation that brings reassurance living the life that he laid out, walking in the way that he modeled and embodying the truth as he complained it, as he proclaims it. And in this context, no one comes to the Father except through me, clearly refers to Jesus' own disciples who seem to want some other information, a plan, a diagram, a map, instructions, where they're supposed to destine after this so that they can get to God or to the kingdom of God with or apart from Jesus. How are we going to get there if you're not here leading us since he's just told them that he was going to leave, at least for a while? Try and use your imagination to put yourself in their shoes and the dismay they are feeling, the confusion that is happening in their midst when the person that they've been following for the last years is saying that you can't follow me anymore. I'm going somewhere and you can't go. It's like, what the heck, Jesus? 
This is all our life is about. If we can't go, where are we going to go? Jesus just told you he's going away. You can't follow him. Then he says, you know how to get where he is going and you don't understand what he's talking about. You have no idea where he's going. So how can you know the way to get there? And maybe you assume that since he's going away, that he's going to give you some kind of clue. You, you need some information how to maybe meet him later. So you want the missing information so you can get yourself to wherever it is he's supposed to go. But then he tells you to trust him because he will work everything out. He'll get you to where you need to be. Trust me, I'll get you there. That's a far cry from the traditional interpretation, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me, of talking about you don't get to heaven unless you say a prayer or accept me. This is very relational to the disciples at that time and their understanding of who he is and what's going on. He is trying to reassure them that all they need has been found in him all along. And to trust in God, trust also in me, don't let your heart be troubled. And this reading takes seriously the play on the words, no, that Thomas is saying. How can we have clarity? How can we know where you're going or the route to get there? And he says, you don't need the intellectual clarity. You need personal knowledge of me. It's not a matter of knowing about, but rather knowing, remembering that this theme of knowledge and interactive relationship is strong throughout John's whole gospel, right? And this eternal life that they may, that you might know it, is actually something that they've been experiencing through Jesus. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I am the life. Later on, John 14, they're going to have that powerful just resonance in John 17, eternal life to know God and to know me. In John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. There is this continual ebb and flow that is taking place between who Jesus is and who they are and what they need. But the non-get-it factor continues with the disciples. And now following the, the clueless tradition of Peter and Thomas, Philip speaks up and notice again the theme of knowing. Chapter 14, verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Do you, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And to me, the core of this message is found not in verse 6 of I am the way, the truth, and the life, but it's actually found in verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And you see, this is the irony for me. Jesus says in verse 9 that the invisible God has been made visible in his life. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus says, look at me. Look at my life, my way, my deeds. And what has that character been? Has it been exclusion? Has it been condemnation? Has it been favoritism? No, it's been the opposite. It's been healing. It's been inclusion. It's been acceptance. Then what does he mean? No one gets to the Father except through me. And his example of the Father and him being one is inclusive and accepting and loving and extending and serving even the least of these. But for our traditional interpretation of verse 6, it seems to say, forget all that. Forget everything you've seen in me, the way I've lived and treated people, the way I've accepted prostitutes and tax collectors. You know, the story I love about Zacchaeus is, is when he goes and he eats at Zacchaeus's house. Zacchaeus says, everything that I've taken wrongfully, I'm going to give back. And I forget, like tenfold. And then Jesus says, today salvation has entered this house. Why? Because Zacchaeus said a prayer and accepted Jesus in his life? No, because Zacchaeus lined up with the kingdom of God and how it looks in Jesus. Salvation doesn't mean you go to heaven when you die. It means that God is present with you now. And look how you're living. It looks just like me. And that's salvation right here, right now. That's beautiful. Believe instead that God will receive, not that he's going to reject anyone who doesn't share your doctrinal viewpoints about me because I won't let anyone get into the Father unless they get by me first. That just does not seem like Jesus, does it? then why would we go to that as an interpretation? And it's important to keep in mind that Jesus cared a lot about how people lived, right? He's not saying it doesn't matter what you do. He got angry. He threw tables over. He was concerned when the people in power took advantage of the people without power. So there's concerns. This isn't a matter of just, yeah, it doesn't matter what you believe. Everyone come on in. No, it matters a lot what you believe, but it's got to look like Jesus and what he did and how he lived. See, that's the way. That's what's true. That's the life of God being exemplified through the person of Christ. 
They want a roadmap, but he gives them a promise. A, a promise of his continuing presence with them, which will soon allude to that of the comforter and that image, again, of the abiding with God and God's life flowing through them. Continuing in verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you see Jesus is now pushing this further? You guys are so troubled, but you don't understand. You are gonna do greater things than I am doing whatever you ask in my name. What does it mean in my name? It means in my character, for my sake, as if it was me doing that. So it's not like, Lord, give me a new car. Yes, in Jesus' name, right? It's whatever you do with my character, God is going to do it and even more. What do you think he's trying to do? What do you think he's trying to communicate to these people who are about to just give up? He's trying to inspire them. And then he comes back to the theme of knowing in a interactive relationship with God. Another reason I preferred this kingdom-focused interpretation of the passage the future beyond the immediate future, Jesus will go where they cannot go, involves the spirit being not just with them, presumably embodied with Jesus, but being in them, embodied in them. And when they are in this new place, the presence with God in his kingdom, the house of God or the house of the father or the kingdom of God, the spirit will actually be in them increasingly to the point where he will do more through them. In verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Once again, Jesus comes to the consistent theme that he began with way back in chapter 13. I am leaving, going where you cannot come, but trust me, you'll get through this. You'll be with me. And even more, you, I will be in you. And you in me. And then he says something, and we'll end on this, so beautiful and enduring, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. You will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. This is so personal and endearing to the disciples and what they're going through. This whole passage of scripture is just overflowing with a love of expression to these disciples to try and reassure him of the promise that he is with them always. 
And I don't know if the irony strikes you again as it does me, but the traditional approach to John 14, 6, right? Giving us information on who is in and who is out is perfectly in sync with the cluelessness of the disciples. Where are you going? What do we need to do? How do we need to get there? It's asking the wrong question. It's not understanding the point. We show ourselves to be their descendants, wanting clarity, wanting technique, wanting the intellectual knowledge, apart from the personal confidence in Christ. We want to know with clarity who's in and who's out. And our preoccupation gives us rise to uncomfortable suspicion that some of us won't be happy if all of us have a happy ending. We've got to make sure everyone's getting this. Have you guys been following the revival, right, that's going on? I just started looking because I just, anyway. It's so interesting, the diversity there. You've got, you know, the Calvinists and the Baptists, you know, all poo-pooing it, just saying, ah, there's no, you know, statement of faith. And then you've got other people, you know, saying, well, you know, demons are being released and whatever. All these people wanting to know all this information, all the wanting to get it right. And that's what the disciples were wanting to do here. Get the information. Give me, what do I need to know to go to be where you are? And Jesus saying, trust me, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Later on, Peter, when Jesus tells John, or Peter, Jesus tells Peter that he was going to suffer. And Peter looks at John and says, what about him? And Jesus says, what does that have to do with you? I feel like that's at the heart here. What about these people? What does that have to do with you? You're supposed to be living like me. If we could trust Jesus and simply obey his command to love one another as he loved us, We'd later see, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even greater things will happen. Now, we wouldn't dare say that except Jesus said that. I wouldn't say, I'm going to do greater things than Jesus here. Jesus said we're to do greater things. How do we do greater things? By living in him, following his way, his truth, his life. Is Jesus the only way? It depends on where we're trying to go. If we want to abandon earth as a lost cause and evacuate to heaven as soon as possible, then I think we're going in a different direction than Jesus. His movement is downward, heaven to earth, earth to humanity humanity to servanthood, servanthood to sacrificial love. He doesn't teach us to pray, may we go to heaven where your will is done, unlike earth, but he teaches us to pray, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. And if that's where we want to go, if that's the way we want to follow, to get earthy and to manifest the kingdom of heaven on earth, then you won't find anyone else leading you there but Jesus. Only Jesus. And may we shift our direction so that we seek to move down with him in the direction of incarnation and sacrificial love, in the direction of involvement and identification, not elitism, not escape, not we have, you don't have, the have and have not, but to go where he went for the reason he went in the love and service he did for the least of these, which is us. That's the way. That's the truth. And that's the life of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be shaken by your words and how they push on us to conform to your image, to to love as you loved, to trust in you through the difficulties of life, even as the disciples had to through this season. And I pray, God, that we would lean into your example and see you being the way, truth, and life as a reassurance for how we are to live and not a condition whether some people are in or out. God, that perspective can change everything, and I pray it would within us. Lord, I, I hope that there are questions growing within us from the things we read today, the things I shared, or that we would be troubled and want to seek deeper what your heart is as it's revealed in these texts in your relationship with those who are closest to you. Lord, it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. I look forward to our conversation after uh, this. And again, invite those of you who can be here to join us because that's where so much takes place is our ability to talk with each other. I get so much more hearing from some of you than I get from speaking. May we find comfort in Jesus' words that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And that in him, Jesus, we are loved. And that is the way, that is the truth, and that is the life of Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. 
You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.